HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Appeal, helping you enjoy your fruits and vegetables at peak freshness and reduce food waste. Learn more at appeal.com. Welcome to The Big Food Question, a podcast exploring the most urgent questions from a food industry in crisis. I'm Kat Johnson, HRN's Communications Director. Well, the election is coming. In this episode, we will not be talking about the presidential election because that's not the only one that matters. Down-ballot races have the potential to transform state legislatures, county commissions, and city councils across the country. In this episode, we're going to focus on a swing state getting a lot of attention. And we're asking, could North Carolina go blue? And if it does, what happens next? In North Carolina, the State House of Representatives has been majority Republican since 2010. But there's a chance that's about to change. To talk about the implications of this upcoming election, I spoke to John Ager, who represents District 115 in Western North Carolina. So my name is John Ager. I live in uh, Buncombe County, North Carolina, not too far from Asheville. I live at Hickory Nut Gap Farm, a hundred-year-old farm. I was first elected to the North Carolina House in 2014. I ran against my neighbor, who was also a farmer, a dairy farmer, and uh, barely won. I have a gerrymandered district uh, that was designed to elect a Republican. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm glad that you started there. You know, we talk a lot about sort of this urban-rural divide in our nation, but your district, I think, is a is a blend of, of both things. You're close to a city, but it's full of farms. So talk a bit about kind of what it means to be a representative of a district that has is pretty evenly split as far as Democrats and Republicans. Well, yes. And Buncombe County, especially Asheville, is very Democratic. Uh, most of Western North Carolina is very Republican. And most rural areas tend to be Republican. People who live in rural areas see themselves as conservative people who are you know, embracing many of those kinds of values. What is changing, I think, and, and something maybe we'll talk about more, is how the younger farmers uh, are more interested in not just doing commodity farming, but 
they are interested in, in linking with their customers. As my son Jamie calls it, uh, creating community through agriculture, a community of farmers and a community of people that buy their products. You may remember Jamie, John's son, from episode eight of The Big Food Question. We talked about their family farm, Hickory Nut Gap, and the impacts that COVID-19 had on the agritourism part of their business. Hickory Nut Gap is about a 15-minute drive from Asheville and is well-known for its grass-fed beef, pastured pork, its farm store, and meat CSA. I have become very interested in, in that phenomenon and how we as a state can enhance bringing rural America through agriculture in in touch with urban people who are very interested in farming and who really would love to have access to farming. So farming's a, a big sort of part of the district that you're in, but can you talk a bit about sort of like the other other types of communities and, and businesses and business people that you represent and give me kind of a uh, an overview of kind of who makes up your constituent base? Well, um, we have, you know, if you're just talking about farming, we have many different kinds of farms, but we, we're really, you know, my my district is centered with Asheville, which is a, a growing, somewhat tourist-related town. Interestingly, the the tourists who come here are in part looking for that rural mountain landscape that they've seen in pictures. And something I've devoted a lot of my time to is preserving that landscape. I'm proud to say that Buncombe County, which again is a fairly urban county, we have probably preserved as much land as any county in North Carolina. Other than that, we have a a big medical community here. We're a regional medical center uh, and we have a fair amount of manufacturing. Can you tell me, in, in 2014, when you first ran for this office, why did you decide to run for, for this office? I decided to run because I felt like the North Carolina General Assembly uh, had become hyper-partisan. And I didn't like the legislation coming out. And I thought I thought to myself, well, my family's well enough known. Maybe I can push back a little bit against the what I considered hyper-partisan legislation coming out of Raleigh. And as it turned out, North Carolina was the only state that year that had a, had democratic gains. We gained four seats in our legislature. And I, as we look back, it was the beginning of a trend that we hope in 2020 will bring us back to the majority, a democratic majority in Raleigh. That's, that's my great hope. And, you know, I, I serve on the Agriculture Committee. My my main interest in Raleigh is agriculture. So that would be a thrill for me. But we'll find that out on Tuesday. What have you been able to accomplish so far? And what are you hoping that you'll be able to accomplish if Democrats do win the majority? What I have been able to accomplish has been fairly minimal. Last summer when we were in session, There was a lot of coronavirus money, and uh, they wanted to find some grant money for uh, food processors, you know, small independent food processors, which were basically getting backed up with orders, and they couldn't handle them all. And, and, you know, in in one way, they were doing fine, making lots of money. Uh, And I, one thing I pushed hard for was to get some protection for the workers. 
we knew from research that coronavirus outbreaks were surrounding these food processing plants, uh, as I think we all know now. And it was a fight. It was a fight. The Republicans didn't didn't particularly want to see that, that spending coronavirus money to help the workers in the plants was a good thing. Um, I didn't get all I wanted, but I got I got a little bit there. And one other thing we've been fighting for is uh, freeing up the production of hemp in North Carolina. And that all got totally balled up last session and our farm bill didn't even pass. Uh, I was very much involved in trying to make the hemp production in North Carolina as streamlined and, and free of restrictions as possible. So those are some of the things. When we come back, Representative John Ager is going to tell us about what he aims to accomplish if the Democrats take back the House in North Carolina. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Appeal. Here at HRN, we care about reducing waste across our food system, from farms to home kitchens. We know that about half of the produce we grow ends up in the trash. We all want to enjoy produce at peak freshness and reduce the amount that gets thrown away. That's where Appeal comes in. Appeal is a plant-based protective layer that helps produce last up to twice as long. It's edible, invisible, and imitates how peels naturally protect fruits and vegetables. Because here's the thing, less waste doesn't just mean we're throwing less food away. It also means we waste less water, energy, and other resources that go into growing produce. Appeal works with nature to reduce waste across the food system from the farm to the kitchen. Appeal helps us conserve our precious resources to ensure we have fresh food to meet our growing need. Appeal. Food gone good. Learn more at appeal.com. Welcome back to The Big Food Question. We're continuing our conversation with State Representative John Ager of District 115 in the North Carolina House of Representatives. If the Democrats take the majority in the House of Representatives um, after this Tuesday's election, what are your priorities on getting done? I'm dreaming about it right now, but uh, my, my emphasis is going to be on incentivizing uh, small family farms. There's a crisis in agriculture in North Carolina with with these large farmers getting too old. And how do we bring in a new generation of farmers? There's a lot of young, well-educated people that want to go into farming uh, and they didn't necessarily grow up on a farm, but they sort of like the lifestyle. So uh, here we go. I think the uh, organizing idea that we need to focus on in agriculture is climate change. And many of these younger farmers get that. You know, it's generally known as regenerative agriculture. So I, I really want to bring our North Carolina ag efforts to begin to look at farms and look at how our soils can be really rebuilt from years, many years of often not taking care of our soils to put the excess carbon that's in the air uh, and get it back in the ground through no, some things like no-till, cover crops, that sort of thing. That I think that's going to be, to me, the big, the big effort. One other moneymaker for, for rural farms is going to increasingly be having solar electrical production on them, solar 
Electricity now is the cheapest form of electricity that you can produce. And I think uh, we will also begin to see more wind power in North Carolina um, and especially offshore. So those are some of the things I want to work on when, when we get the majority. That's great. And I think what's so significant in hearing you talk about what you're looking forward to in the next year is sort of the interconnectedness of a lot of the issues that we're facing. And I especially like that you're talking about the connection between sort of like labor and agriculture. And I read this quote the other day that I think sums up so perfectly. One of the main problems with the way farming works in our country is that farmers impoverish themselves to grow food for the rich and then farmers get rich growing food for the poor. And it kind of just, to me, sums up the fact that commodity farmers that grow a lot of, I guess, quote unquote, cheap food, they're the ones that are making a lot of money. And then you have small family farmers just trying to grow like a range of produce for a local market and they can't really make money to support themselves. And to your point, one of them may have to work off the farm. So that being said, we know what we want to incentivize and not incentivize, but like from a policy perspective, what do you think you need to do to kind of shift the balance there and, and change that system? I probably have no great answers for that. I think uh, what my son has done here at Hickernet Gap is in building his community of consumers is to teach them that raising animals humanely, for instance, in a, in a more environmentally sustainable way, raising them with more organic thought to it than what is commonly done. And that's all, all ranges of agriculture. That's what the cons- many of the consumers want. And to your point about raising that kind of food for the rich, that's kind of one of the questions out there. Can this kind of food be raised in a way that can feed everybody? And that's something that I think is an open question, but my my son's telling me, yes, it can. And um, so we're going to try to look at that. And, you know, it's not just the rich people that want healthy food. And we just have to figure out how to market it and get it into the stores and eventually make it as inexpensive as the great commodity food is. But I think a lot of it is driven by consumer demand. And to your point about the commodity farmers you know, raising cheap food, how cheap is it really? I, mean, I saw uh, something today in the paper that said in 2020, there's going to be $46 billion of farm subsidies going to be sent to farmers. These are mostly large farmers of corn growers, cotton growers, wheat growers, rice growers, sugar growers, uh, $46 billion. And that that is 40% of farm income is federal subsidies. That's not a sustainable model. Yeah, I think that's exactly part of it. Like, I think, you know, so much of the time we talk about what consumer demand is, and that's absolutely a piece of the puzzle. But when you have the Secretary of Agriculture who says, get big or get out, and we're seeing the subsidies go to large farmers, it kind of also tells you that our government is not prioritizing the same things that we're we're saying consumers might be prioritizing. And that's a political problem. That's something we need to change at the political level. And then as far as like you mentioned, 
rebuilding our soils and carbon sequestration? Like, are you interested um, in some policies that kind of basically incentivize or subsidize farmers who are doing practices that do sequester carbon and and, and therefore help uh, mitigate climate change? I'm very interested in, I'm, 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 looking for ways to sort of quantify that so that, you know, we, if we could enlist soil and water, and that's, we have a whole organization dedicated to keeping our soil and water in top shape. And if we just need to figure out a way to uh, measure whether the soils are really uh, sequestering that carbon or not, uh, and, to, and to, you know, incentivize farmers. I guess you could use sort of the EQIP programs that we've been doing for for other things if we can quantify that and, and get farmers signed up to uh, pursue this kind of farming I think that's definitely a, a policy issue do you feel like this campaign season or this year whether or not it's covid related or if it's just politics does this year feel different to you than other campaigns that you've run oh it's very different and Partly as a candidate, it's it's a little little bit easier because you're not driving around the whole time going to neighborhood parties, which are fun, um, and meetings and and events. Uh, you know that's that's what it usually feels like all summer and into the fall. But there aren't neighborhood meetings and there aren't meetings, uh, general meetings, and um, so we're campaigning at home. There's no uh, community debates that I've been in this time, which is unusual. So, yeah, it's been weird. And it's partly weird because in North Carolina, we have a big Senate race. We ha- we're a, a state that's uh, go either way on the presidential election. And we have a really strong, even Stephen, U.S. House race here. So they pretty much drown out the noise here. So, yeah, it's it, it felt very strange. And uh, while I'll be glad after Tuesday... Um, we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out. We'll come back and talk again after the election. We'll, uh, we, we can see what my agenda is going to be for the 2021 long session in Raleigh. Thanks so much to Representative John Ager for speaking with me ahead of the election. We'll be back soon after November 3rd to hear from him again. And remember to get out and vote this Tuesday if you haven't already. Make your voice heard on those down-ballot races and the issues you care about. Don't forget to subscribe to The Big Food Question wherever you get your podcasts. Check back often as we address critical questions for eaters, operators, and workers across food topics and business sectors. If you have questions you'd like this show to answer, email us at question at heritageradionetwork.org. The Big Food Question is produced by Katie Mosman-Wadler, Hannah Forden, Dylan Hoyer, Matt Patterson, Luke Griffin, and me, Kat Johnson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. The Big Food Question is powered by Simplecast. The content of this series is provided for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. You should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this content. This project is funded in part by a Humanities New York CARES grant with support from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the Federal CARES Act. This program is also supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. 
The Big Food Question is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. 